Welcome back to Alternative Interests. This is Kat. This is Crystal. You can jump in at any time. I was waiting for you to say, this is Crystal, and I was going to jump in and say, this is Kat. And and we are here. Hello. <laughs> Meow. Meow. <laughs> Why did I do that? I don't know. Are you okay? That's just like the green eggs and ham thing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know what happened to me today? Really quick. I was at a stoplight about to take a left turn. I had my blinker on and everything. And Uh instead of turning, I turned off the car. And I just casually like went, oh, and I turned it back on and I went on my merry, I had to put it on park before I turned it back on. But then I was like, oh, that was, I must've had a mini stroke. That's weird. (laughs) I turned on my car and I went on my merry. Was there anyone behind you? Yeah, there was, they didn't honk. (laughs) They were very, they were very understanding. I was like, "Mm, okay. All of them are like. Same girl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that was fun. That was fun. Oh, I cannot say that I've done anything that bad recently. I think I'm just tired. My eye has been twitching for like three weeks straight. Like no break, Um, which is the worst. You know how sometimes it'll twitch? Yeah. And that just you get like a couple hours of reprieve. No, it's like. It's not even like the upper lid. Usually it's the upper lid. It's the lower lid in the corner and just like a house day. party all day long in the eye. That's oh, weird. my Lord. Yeah. The base. Boom, 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 oh. Boom, boom. All right. What do you got for us today? <sighs> okay. So um, I have the story of Howard Unra. I really like saying his last name, but have you ever heard of this gentleman? Howard Unra, I can't say that I have. So tell me about him. Uh, He is generally regarded as the first mass shooter in modern American history. Oh. And most people don't actually really know about Howard Unra because it happened so long ago and it was such an isolated thing that um and there were no shootings after like he didn't inspire any subsequent shootings so he just kind of got forgotten okay so um yeah i'll i'll tell you about howard unra i mean two bad things like really bad things happen um there's a lot of ch- ch- a lot of children die oh that's too bad okay let's uh, yeah, lay it on so- me trigger warning i guess yeah, and I will say just when I get to talking about um it's it's come to be known as his walk of death. Oh. Um it was 13 minutes long and it's be- it's come to have been known as the walk of death. That is rapid fire bad. Um everything what do you else mean? up 
like recalling the the actual shooting itself. Oh, okay. Um, is gonna be hard and heavy. Okay. Uh, everything leading up to that is just kind of like, huh? Okay. Yeah. So we'll be good for a little bit. Okay. Well, let me know. Cause yeah, I'll let you know. I'll let everyone know. Labor Day, nineteen forty nine. We're talking way back when. Uh huh. Uh, Howard had been having an ongoing affair with another man, and he was planning on meeting him for a date at the movies that night. Traffic held him up a little bit, so he ended up being late. And so his date had actually left by the time he got there. Oh. Uh, Howard was not a go-with-the-flow kind of person. Uh, He was more of an angry shake your fist at you kind of person. Okay. Uh, He ended up staying at the theater for hours, just stewing in his anger. Uh, There was a double feature playing that night of two movies. The movies are inconsequential, so I didn't even write the titles down. Uh Uh-huh. He sat through three showings of this double feature. Like on the same night? Yeah, just sitting in the theater. Because he was so angry, he just sat there stewing. What movie was it? It was just two movies. We don't know the names. I'm kind of curious. Uh, they're just not important. Um, I know, but I'm just like curious. The like, Lady Gambles and oh. like you would not know these movies. Okay, That's why so I said like, they're inconsequential. Well, okay, okay. I was um, just still interested. And so it was 2.20 a.m., when he finally decided to go home because that's when the last showing ended. I don't think he really decided to go home. It was more like a, hey, buddy, get your ass out of here. So he arrives back home at his house in Camden, New Jersey at around 3 a.m. to find that his gate in his fence was gone. And that was the final straw for Howard. (laughs) Done. No gate. I'm mad now. This, I mean, he's he kind of operates at at a a simmering level, and I this was just like cranking the heat up. Yeah, and this doesn't make any sense to you and I right now. It'll make more sense later. Okay. So Howard, like I say, he was done. He was done with the constant disrespect. He was done with the lifetime of name calling. He was done with people belittling him. So he goes up to his room. He grabs his Luger 9mm pistol and he lays in bed and he makes a silent list of all the people who have wronged him. And he just lulls himself to sleep reciting this list to himself of all of these people who are going to pay. And I see this as kind of, um, you know, Game of Thrones when Arya is chanting the names to herself. Oh, yeah. That is what I picture is this. He was over six feet tall and like oh. 165 pounds. He's a tall, lanky, weird yeah. looking fucker. And just this guy just laying there, just reciting these Picturing names. Picturing that. Now I have to look him up. And all the shit they've done to him and all the wrongs committed against him and how he is going to make it right. I'm looking him up now. Oh, creepy. Yeah. Okay. So... On Tuesday, September 6th, Howard would embark on his walk of death. And that And that's what they called it? Is that what they ended up calling it? It's like... it's called it's come to be known as his walk of death. Okay. And so 
we have to get some history on Howard to know how we ended up in this place where a missing gate can cause him to flip his shit. Cause this much anger, yeah. Yeah. So Howard was born on January 20th, 1921 to parents Sam and Frida. And uh, Frida. Frida. Uh, some places there was a newspaper that referred to her as Rita. Uh-huh. Um, I think that was just a mistake on the writer's part. Okay. Uh, he also had a brother named Jim. And Howard's life was mostly uneventful. There was no real, real trauma in his youth, um, except for the fact that his parents got divorced when he was young. All right. This was the 1930s when divorce did not happen. Oh, so this was like... So, I mean, that's the Scandalous, only, maybe? Kind of. I mean, that's the only real thing in his childhood that's like a <gasps> kind of thing. And who did he end up living with, did they say? like uh, He and Jim were raised by their mother. Okay. Which I'm sure at that time, like, is a... I wonder if at that time, you know how now it's like co-parenting and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if back then, since it was all on the mom anyways, if like the dad, I, I find that it's just the dad that just is gone and then not really in the life anymore. Yeah. Like if the father ever abandoned his family to go start a new one, the yeah. old family was just kind of like, good luck, guys. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure exactly why, but I just know that they were raised by their mother um, I feel like they, I think they still had contact with their father, though. Okay. Which is also just a little bit strange. The whole yeah. thing at the time was very weird. Okay. But Frida worked as a packer in the Evanston Soap Company to support their, their, um, the family. Okay. Uh, later on in life, Howard ended up getting a psychiatric evaluation after he was arrested. And, the only two things they really noted about his early developmental part of his childhood, because, you know, that's always important when we're talking to people who commit these horrible crimes. Yeah. They only noted two things. They said, one, he had a prolonged period of toilet training. Mm. And two, he did not walk or talk until 16 months old. Oh. Which, like, looking at that, I mean, that's not very unusual. No, it doesn't really scream weirdo child going to grow up to be a mass shooter to me. No. If anything, it screams maybe on the spectrum a little bit. I don't I don't know. Because I know that when they do like testing and stuff for kids, they ask like what what at what age did they start walking and stuff like that? Yeah, I feel like normal is such a wide range, though, that even yeah. asking that doesn't really give you a whole ton of information. Oh, no, definitely not. I'm just kind of speculating there. Yeah, but yeah. that also, that illustrates that his childhood was just normal. Mm-hmm. He was very religious, and he regularly read the Bible and would attend church services at St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Church. Okay. He was kind of shy, mostly kept to himself, and he's kind of a, a nerd. Uh, his two hobbies as a child were stamp collecting and building model trains. Hmm. So he's just kind of. Just odd. Yeah. Like he's not playing outside with the other boys. Um, he's going to church 
and he's collecting stamps and playing with model trains, and that's just what keeps him happy. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Uh, As he moved into his adulthood, he never drank or smoked, ever. Oh. Which also kind of weird for the time. Like, I feel like all men in this early, the 30s and 40s, they drank and smoked. Yeah, it was the thing to do. Um, In his high school yearbook, it was noted um, his life's ambition uh, was to become a government worker. Oh. Just a very generic, he didn't have any real specific aspiration. It was just, I want to be a government worker. All right. Uh, He's looking for stability, apparently. His classmates called him Howe, short for Howard. And his grades were pretty good. I mean, he got B's and C's. Okay. Uh, the, the things they graded them on are weird to me. Uh, so nowadays, you know, you've got like science, mathematics, history. Maybe you've got an elective or two in there. Mm-hmm. He had cooperation, courtesy, dependability, mental alertness, and personal impression. Those were classes? Those were the things they were graded on. I w- Honestly, I wish we could grade kids on those things now. Because... <laughs> There would be a lot of low grades. I, your son would be acing it, though. <laughs> yeah. Cooperation and courtesy? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Man, sometimes. <laughs> High school is kind of when Howard started displaying some of his like quirkiness, okay. I suppose. Um, he, like I said, he had a tendency to do intense Bible study, but... He had something of a superiority complex. He just believed he was better than everyone else. So he would study the Bible and then go to school and lecture people. Oh, okay. So I would think that's a little weird. I would too. I don't think I don't think he made too many friends that way, but okay. I get the feeling he was okay without the friends. Okay. Like he, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so after high school... He ended up working a series of blue-collar jobs before ultimately being drafted into the Army in 1942. And I already kind of mentioned it already, but Howard was a very particular man. Okay. He had an extreme rigid personality. He did not accept any degree of frustration. He did not accept any degree of people not treating him how he thought he should be believed. He had uh, zero issues holding a grudge with someone and zero issues expressing his anger. And so in 1942, when he was drafted into the army, you take this extremely rigid, strict person and you throw them into World War II. That would not work out well for him, I don't think. It worked out extremely well for him. He was regarded as an excellent soldier. Why? I'm pretty sure there's situations where you're not going to, like, you're going to The army set very strict guidelines for him. Very structured, and he thrived. Oh, well, good for him. Um, On top of that, I I think all of us at some degree understand the whole process of, like, when you go into the military, the whole like break you down to build you up thing. Yeah. That's what boot camp is supposed to do. And some of that, especially during like heavy war times like World War Two, was to condition some of the humanity out of you. And 
Um, I originally heard about this uh, Howard Unra from last podcast on the left. I heard them okay. do an episode on it quite a while ago. And they explained this in a really interesting way. So um, in war, you're obviously you're killing people. Mm-hmm. Humans are conditioned to not want to kill each other. Like you're I think you have talked about this before that there's this this level of narcissism of when you're faced with someone that looks like you. Yeah. You don't want to hurt them. So you're taking American soldiers and putting them into Europe in a war. They're fighting people who look like them. Mm -hmm. So when you're going through training during World War II, they would break them down specifically to condition the humanity out of them so that the thought of shooting someone else was not so difficult. And... Other soldiers said that Howard had zero issues shooting other people. Oh. He did not need to be broken down. He was not afraid to shoot his enemies. In fact, he loved it. You think that would be a red flag, but I guess in the army it's like... I think that there were red flags that were missed. Okay. Such as Howard had a tendency to keep notes. Hmm. Of who he killed in what place at what time. And if he had the chance to go out and examine the body, he would take detailed notes about what they looked like. And he kept all of this in diary, which seems like a big fat red flag to me. Well, I'm sure not a lot of people knew about it at the time. Uh, One of his bunkmates saw and read his diary. Oh. Fully aware of it. I would think that that's a little weird. That is a little weird, yes. Howard was kind of weird anyway. Um, While all the other soldiers would get done with a hard day's battle and go out and sleep with the local women, Howard would stay and study his Bible. Okay, yeah, that's when you know something, (laughs) something's not right. Well, Howard was homosexual. Oh. He had no desire to go out and sleep with the local women. Okay. The fact of the matter is, in the 1940s, it wasn't just, like, frowned upon to be homosexual. It was illegal. Isn't that so sad? How many people, when I think back to that time, couldn't live their, like, true life? For with the penalty of like severe jail yeah, time, that's awful. if they got caught, yeah. So, I mean, that's the time that he's living in. So he's already suppressing some of his personality. He's got some obsessive personality traits. It's just kind of a little strange. Oh, I will say, um, he served at the Battle of the Bulge, uh, with distinction. So. Uh, Battle of the Bulge is like they were literally fighting Hitler head on. I oh, believe, okay. If I remember correctly, because everybody knows the Battle of the Bulge was a very uh, intense battle. Yeah. Um, Howard served at the Battle of the Bulge with distinction. So okay. he was well regarded, did his job well. However, he never rose above the the rank of private first class. I don't know if that's because he wasn't in the military long enough to. I feel like that didn't matter so much back then. 
I feel like more his commanding officers saw something in him that made them question whether promoting him was really the best idea. That's just my personal take on it. Okay. So um, after the war, he was honorably discharged and uh, he had no marks of any kind of mental illness. He was just discharged. Okay. I think part of that was because he was drafted and I don't really know how drafts work, but I think after the war is done, like your draft is is served and you're free to go. All right. But if we think about the American economy post-World War II, military veterans were esteemed as like the most valuable workforce you could get. Oh. If you were a vet coming home from the war, here's a job, take it. Oh, good. Like they had the world at their feet when they came home. I kind of wish it was like that for military today. I it's like, really sad that they don't get the support that they no, should. No, especially like, you know, psychologically, especially with some of the things they see and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. But Howard, when he went home to Camden, New Jersey, didn't really try to get a job. At one point, he did end up uh, enlisting or signing up for, to be a pharmacist. He started going to pharmacy pharmacy school in Philadelphia. After three months, he ended up dropping out and moving back home to live with his mom in Camden again. Oh. And Howard's father and brother said that after he came home from the war, he was just never the same. Never the same. I mean, he sounds like he was pretty odd before he went, so. Well, no one ever thought he was capable of what he did. Okay. They thought he was harmless, wouldn't hurt a fly, sweet guy. Uh, One woman said that he really seems to respect his mother, and I like that. Oh. Uh, So no one saw this coming. But his family said that something about him was just different. Okay. Um... Just as many other World War II soldiers had, Howard had brought some collectibles home from the war with him. And so the walls of his home were lined with pistols and bayonets and machetes just on the walls. Uh, They had things like ashtrays that were made out of German shells just around the house. He had his home filled with Nazi trophies from the people that he killed. So that at any given time, he could sit there and look at something on the wall and remember the people that he had killed. That's so weird. He's a weird man. Yeah. In his basement, Uh his mother's basement, that was really more of a crawl space. He set up a shooting range. And this is not a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Uh, They actually lived like in the middle of town where all the shops were. And it's a crawl space. Yeah, and he set up a shooting range. Did mom know? Oh, yeah. Okay. And Howard was known as a pretty good marksman while he was in the Army. When he got out and he spent hours a day shooting, Uh he became lethal. Jeez. I'm still trying to figure out how you set up a shooting range in a crawl space. You put a target on the wall and you shoot. Okay. This guy. And he's tall, too. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He was like laying down there, just like all day shooting. So weird. Like I said, he, he after coming home, he had kind of tried to um, take up some blue collar work. Uh, he worked for a printing outfit, outfit running like a metal stamping press. 
didn't last a year. Like I said, he went to pharmacy school, dropped out after a few months. So nothing sticking. No, it's I don't feel like he really had any ambition. Okay. He had his own rules. He had his own way that he thought the world should work. And apparently this is what he wanted out of life. I don't know. All right. So by December 1948, he was unemployed, living full time with his mother and just happy to live well off his mother. Okay, whatever. Whatever makes you happy. Yeah. um, A psychiatrist said in his later psych evaluation, he said uh, he did not work, nor did he have any life goals or directions, had difficulty adjusting or solving problems and was angry at the world. And so like... It, it really shouldn't surprise anybody that Howard didn't really have any friends. Yeah, so, not a shocker right there. Yeah, and he's isolating himself further and further from people, um, but he did not see it that way. He saw it as other people were isolating him. And anything he perceived as a slight against him was a cause for his rage. And Howard, I mean, he kept those detailed notes of the men he killed in a war. He kept detailed notes of any time anyone disrespected him, whether they had actually disrespected him or he had just felt disrespected. Yeah, I was going to ask how how many times when he felt disrespected was that and was that the actual case or he's just like, you know. I'll I'll tell you some of the things. Okay. Here are the things that made uh, Howard's life infuriating. So get ready to be angry with Howard. Here we go. At the drugstore. So Howard's house shared a wall with a drugstore next door. And the owner of the drugstore lived in an apartment above the drugstore with his family. Okay. Okay. At the drugstore, Mr. Cohen had shortchanged him five times. (laughs) He had this written down? Yes. (laughs) They had bought their son Charles a trumpet for Christmas. And Charles was annoying. He didn't know how to play the trumpet. It was irritating. So Howard felt justified in playing very loud marching band music on the radio because he enjoyed it at all hours of the night. Oh, gosh. And Mrs. Cohen had the audacity to ask him to turn it down. <laughs> well, I mean, marching band music. Um, a couple who lived in another house in the area threw trash in his backyard. The barber was doing some construction in his own yard. <laughs> but the dirt that he had dug up had blocked the drainage system and flooded his cellar oh man this guy is just like a angry Uh, little elf the shoemaker also put trash in his backyard a young boy named i don't remember his first name his last name was sorg uh, was selling christmas trees on the street and he used an extension cord to steal electricity from Howard's house to power the lights for his Christmas tree selling. <laughs> and uh, Dominique Latella, who was a restaurant owner, uh, called Howard a gangster. <laughs> 
I can just see Howard getting mad at all these people and then just like taking out his journal and just like writing down their the injustices. January fourth. Yeah, exactly. She told me to turn my marching music down. They asked me not to shoot in the basement anymore. No one tells me not to shoot in my own home. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So all of these are, they're all for sure irritating. Like, don't throw your trash in my yard. Give me the correct change when I am supporting your store. (laughs) Um, I don't think this is, like, book of grievances worthy, though. Yeah. I don't It is to Howard. In addition, every time one of these people had wronged him and he had written these notes in his little book, there were notations next to them. And the notations, there were two of them. There was R-E-T-W-T-S and D-N-D-R. What these meant was retaliate when time is suitable and do not delay retaliation. Oh, geez. That's a little concerning, right? A little bit, yeah. So in addition to these perceived slights that these people are directly uh they're they're disrespecting howard he was also extremely paranoid remember he's gay he's not allowed to be gay it's very illegal to be gay he was certain that everyone was talking about him and everyone was spreading so he's rumors about him too yes figures and more and more important importantly they were insulting him they said oh. he was a parasitic leech living off his mother. His mother was supporting him. He's a grown-ass man. What is he doing? And so, to be clear, he never heard anyone say this. This is all him saying he thinks, right? This is what he thinks. Okay. Um, now, Mr. Cohen did spread rumors that he had seen Howard receiving blowjobs in places. Uh oh. Howard had also so remember the the movie theater that he was supposed to meet the yeah man at? yeah apparently that was a well known homosexual meetup spot. oh okay and if you were going there as a single man it was very clear what you were doing okay like you were meeting up for a hookup yeah and apparently some local teens had like seen him. At the theater, and he was like, I just know they're talking about me. Yeah, they are, Howard, they are. Um, Additionally, there were some issues with Howard and the Coens about the backyard. Okay. There There was some issue with the Coens had a gate to their side of the yard, and I think it was Howard kept leaving it open so like dogs were getting back there there was some issue with the gate being left open and the Coens were like dude can you please just stop fucking leaving our gate open like we are asking you please and so Howard's mom goes out and requisitions someone to build a gate on their side of this shared yard that is Howard's gate it's only Howard's Howard only Howard can use it and that's the gate that when he came home from the movies, his gate was gone. Oh, that was it. That's the straw. So do you see all of Yeah, poor Howard. I kind of feel bad for Howard because I wish he had someone to process all this with, you know? Yeah, but he was just living in the wrong time. Also, yeah. I don't think... I'll talk about it later. Okay. okay. I don't think any amount of processing is going to help this guy. Okay. In addition to... so. 
Howard was homosexual. He was gay. He was carrying on gay affairs. He was going and he was meeting up with men on dates several times a week. He was not concerned with people really saying that he was gay. I think the bigger issue to Howard is that Howard was meticulous in hiding his affairs. He would drive all the way to Philadelphia from New Jersey to carry on these dates. Oh, wow. And so I think the bigger issue is that Howard was insulted that people would think he was so careless as to be caught. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Howard was so sexually active that he actually was renting a room in a boarding house in Philadelphia, specifically so he had a private place to go with these men. Oh, wow. I wonder, like, I wish he could have just, like, I wonder if he would have been so angry if he just was able to just... Not have to, yeah, be himself, not have to go out and have these affairs and sneak around and, and just like live his, his life. I don't think so because that does not get rid of this constant need for people to respect him. Yeah, that's true. You, you could probably guess this without me saying it, but every single one of these sexual encounters ended up in his diaries too. Okay. Yeah. Very clearly written out. So Howard has a very obsessive personality that no amount of uh, freedom with his sexuality is going to fix. Okay. Um, There was actually a point uh, for two years when he did have a girlfriend. Uh, Oh. He was dating dating a girl from 1944 to 1946. Oh, wow. He ended up breaking up with her because it was ultimately like, I'm never going to marry you. Yeah. And when he broke up with her, he actually told her, quote, I'm a schizo and I'm never going to marry you. Oh, so he knew he had issues, too. Um, I think that was just his way to get rid of her. Oh, OK. I was going to say, wow. All right. Poor guy. He knew he had issues, but couldn't even get help. Yeah. And during his psyche vow later, when he was telling them about this, he said she meant absolutely nothing to me and we never had sex he's like she meant nothing to me okay so this is giving you the setup to howard coming home and finding that gate missing it just being the last straw for him so here we are the morning after he had lulled himself to sleep reciting his list of those who he was going to go out and take care of okay He wakes up at 8 a.m. and he goes downstairs where his mother had made him a lovely breakfast of fried eggs and milk. Fried eggs and milk. Uh, It's a real winning combo if you ask me. (laughs) I I don't know. I feel like we need a carb in there somewhere, but that's just me. Um, he, He eats and Howard had already decided that 9.30 a.m. was the perfect time to hit for him to begin his rampage because that's when the shops would be open and he could maximize the damage. Okay. So he's thinking ahead. He is solely focused on getting his revenge. So he goes upstairs and he gets dressed and he gets dressed in a brown suit with uh, a striped bow tie. He was looking real nice. Mm. And he goes down to the basement and he grabbed a wrench Mm. and he walks up to his mother. No. And he holds the wrench above his head. Oh, God. And just holds it there. That's it? Does mom die? 
Frida looks at him and she's like, what do you want to do that for, Howard? And imagine this. He's just fucking standing there with this wrench held over his head, like directly hovering over you. And you're just like, uh, what do you want to do that for, Howard, huh? What do you want to do that for? And he was not answering. She just kept repeating. What do you want to do that for, Howard? And it got to the point that he was silent. I I am imagining him like trembling with rage. And she was terrified and she ran out the door to a neighbor's house. His original plan was to kill his mother first. But he never did because she ran to the... Did she call... She, I'm assuming she called 911. No. She didn't? She ran to a neighbor's house just kind of saying something is wrong with Howard. Oh, well, I guess, yeah. I guess I wouldn't call 911 because I'm not... I, I wouldn't think that he's going to do what he's about to do, I guess. Right. And back then, like, remember, these days, unfortunately, mass shootings are... I don't want to say routine because that it feels like I'm downplaying it. But when we hear about a mass shooting, it's obviously traumatizing. It is obviously very sad, but it's not to your soul shocking. They had never experienced a mass shooter before. It didn't exist. So she that, and you no know what? Idea. That's what I was going to comment about, because when I, I and I didn't mean to, but well, no, I did. When I looked him up and mm-hmm. saw the amount. Right. Uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a was this one of the first sprees like this? It you was know, me first. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So she had no idea. It wasn't even a thought in her head that now yeah. he's going to go kill a bunch of people. Yeah. So um, actually, I should stop and I should say Howard is not the first. Um, Actually, just I want to say it was two months before Howard. There was another mass shooter. His name. There is almost zero information on him anywhere. Uh, His name is Melvin Collins. He went into a church and killed eight people. And this was in... uh, November 1948. So this was about a year before uh, Howard Unra went out. The problem with this was that Melvin Collins was a black man. Most of his victims were black. And so the news just didn't care. Oh, that's sad. But in addition to that, Melvin Collins had a history of violent criminal behavior. Howard Unra was a war veteran. He was the nice guy next door. He was uh, the man who lives with his mother and respects his mother. No one thought this would come from him. So there's, there's this distinction between Melvin Collins, who actually is like, I, I believe he is the first American mass shooter. Howard Unra is the first um, lone wolf snapped kind of killer. Oh, wow. So that's that's kind of the distinction here. So kind of going back, that's why Howard's mother did not call the police, because in her mind, she doesn't know what's wrong, but something is wrong. Yeah. So um, she runs off to a neighbor's house. And so Frida's gone. 
and Howard grabs his nine millimeter with two clips and 16 extra rounds of bullets. And he goes out his door. And the first man he happens upon, and this is where I will warn everybody that um, I'm going to be going into the details of the massacre at this point. Um, Like I said, it's hard and heavy and there is, I don't go into excessive detail, but it's, it's details and many children do die. So there's that. Okay. I'm going to remain silent for that. Just hit us. So he walks out of his back door and the first person he encounters was actually a bread delivery boy. Howard shot at him and he ended up missing. The thing is, Howard had never met this kid before. Um, He was not on his revenge list, so it wasn't that big a deal that he missed. He just kept going. And so he went to the shoemaker's store where 27-year-old John Pilarchik was in there doing work and without saying a single word Howard walks in shoots him in the stomach and uh, obviously John falls Howard walks up closer to him shoots him a second time in the head and walks out never said a word he walks next door to the barber shop where six-year-old Oris Smith his mother Catherine and Clark Hoover, the barber, were all inside. Uh, Oris was sitting on top of uh, one of those white, like, carousel-style horses. And he was getting his hair cut because his first day of school was the next day. When Howard walked in, remember, the whole time he was holding the wrench above his head with his mother, he hadn't said a word. So this is the first time he has said anything. Okay. He walks in and he looks at Clark. He says, I have something for you. And Clark saw the gun in his hand and he attempted to shield the little boy. He was too slow. Howard shot Oris in the head and then shot Clark in the chest and the head. Oh, He completely ignored Catherine, who scooped up her child and ran screaming out the door where a neighbor shoved them in a car and drove them to the hospital. Howard goes back outside and he uh, starts walking towards the drugstore to confront the Coens because they are the greatest defenders in his book. James Hutton, who is actually an insurance salesman, was in the drugstore and he was coming out to see what like the commotion was because they didn't know what was going on. And Howard didn't actually have any issues with James. So they kind of run into each other in the street and Howard goes, excuse me. And John sees the gun and freezes. Now remember, Howard has zero patience for people who do not obey his rules. Yeah. He had said, excuse me. James did not move. So Howard shot him in the chest and the head and left him in the middle of the street. Oh, no. So he continues on to the drugstore where Maurice and Rose were running upstairs to their apartment. In the Cohen household was Maurice and Rose, their 12-year-old, their 12-year-old son Charles, and uh, Maurice's mother Minnie. Oh, Minnie. Maurice Which is, Minnie. I think that's a really yeah. cute name. Uh, like so they're that. all upstairs. Howard 
calmly follows them upstairs. And I I feel like now is a good time to add a little bit of levity to this because we um, I need to breathe for a second. Yeah. Um, several people described Howard as walking um, like something was jabbing him in the back. Very rigid, extremely upright. I imagine these days we would actually say he was walking like he had a stick up his ass. Um, so he, he was walking with like robotic precision following behind them. So you can imagine, this is like a horror movie of this guy perfectly upright with like perfect posture following these people running up their stairs and he's just calmly walking up behind them. Rose was hiding in a closet. Charles was hiding in a different closet and Maurice was trying to climb through a window. Unfortunately, Maurice was in a window directly across from the doorway that Howard had walked up. And so he was climbing out the window onto the roof. Howard shot him in the back and he fell from the roof to the street below. Oh, no. Howard then heard movement in one of the closets, shot three times through the door and then opened it to reveal Rose and then shot her in the face. Oh, my gosh. He then heard Maurice's mother, Minnie, attempting to call the police. And Howard shot her multiple times as well. And at this point, he decided he was done with the Coens. He did not look for Charles. Charles did survive. So Howard walks back outside where... Remember, he had shot James Hutton in the middle of the street. Yeah. A 24-year-old World War II vet named Alvin Day was driving, and he had slowed down because he saw this body laying on the road. And when he had slowed to a stop, Howard walked up to his car and shot him in the head. Oh, no. And this is the point where the neighborhood had really started to notice something is wrong here. Um. This had been less than 10 minutes. So you're not expecting in 1949 for there to be a man shooting people in your neighborhood. This is just not a thing that happens. So they thought maybe it was firecrackers. Maybe this is a car backfiring. They they did not think that this was a man with a gun shooting down their neighbors. So when people around the neighborhood start to really see that, oh, my God, something is happening, they start running for cover. Howard was on his way to the tailor's shop because the tailor was one of the men who was spreading rumors about him being gay. Unfortunately, Tom Zagrino, the tailor, was not in his shop, but his new wife, Helga, was. They had only been married for, I think, less than a year. Reportedly, based on one of the articles I read, Helga was begging for her life on her knees when Howard shot her. That's awful. Um, Howard then decided that he was going to go to the grocery store because one of the clerks there had been rude to him several times. The owner was fine, but the clerk was rude and he was on the list. When the people were running for cover outside, the grocery store is where they went. And thankfully, the owner of the grocery store had had the knowledge to lock the door. So Howard goes to the door, tries to open it, can't get in. He tries to shoot the lock three times to try and break it. 
three shots. It's not budging. Howard has zero patience for anything that will stand in his way, so he decides to just move on. Back in the street, there was a car stopped at a red light. He shot and killed Helen Wilson and her mother, Emma Matlick, as well as Helen's nine-year-old son. Helen's son, John, was not immediately killed. Unfortunately, Helen and Emma both were. Uh, John ended up succumbing to his injuries in the hospital and later died. Oh, man. Um, Then Howard saw movement in a window and he believed that it was the shadow of one of the neighbors who had been throwing trash in his yard. So he just shot through the window thinking that this was one of his targets and he was going to hit them. It was actually two-year-old Thomas Hamilton who was playing in his playpen by the window. Oh, that is so sad. And he no. was unfortunately struck in the head and killed. Oh, that is awful. Like I told you before, he did not um he did not drink. So he didn't actually go into the tavern because if you're not drinking, then the tavern owner can't actually do anything to you. Like he would never make your list, right? I think he shot in the general direction of the tavern. Uh-huh. And the tavern owner had actually run upstairs to grab his own gun to try and stop Howard. Um, he had shot outside once and he actually did shoot Howard in the ass cheek. It did not stop Howard. And this goes back to when I was talking about while they were training people for the war that humans instinctively do not want to kill each other. Uh-huh. Um, I believe his name was Frank. He said that if he had just shot a couple more times, he could have ended it right there. Um, but he couldn't. He just he had shot him the one time and he just couldn't do it again because he's a normal, rational human being that when you harm another human, it makes you stop. Yeah. And I think he he later expressed regret that he could not do it again. I mean, I don't blame him, but I cannot imagine living with that, knowing that you had the power to stop it and you you couldn't. Yeah. That's sad. Um, so after Howard shoots this two-year-old little boy, he ends up breaking into a home in the lot that was like behind his house. And there was uh, Madeline Harry with two of her sons. And he shot Madeline in the arm and her 16-year-old son, Armand, tried to, like, rush and tackle Howard, like, defending his mother, which is so sweet. Yeah, that is Howard hit him in the head with his pistol, uh, which knocked him to the ground. And I think this was, like, he fully had the power to kill this kid immediately. I don't think he was on his list, though. So he shoots him in both arms and then he takes aim at his chest and he was out of bullets. I was going to ask, what did you say what kind of gun it was? Because I would imagine he, and listen to me, like I'm like, back then did guns have like, weren't they like really old and just one bullet was in there? <laughs> no, uh, it was a semi-automatic with oh, okay. um, clips and he reloaded at a few points during this. 
Um, one of the times he reloaded was as he was walking into the drugstore. Um, I think he reloaded after he was done inside the drugstore. But at this point, he was out, out of bullets. He has no more. So he goes back to his apartment. And at that point is when the police started showing up and a crowd of neighbors started gathering outside. And this is the first incident of this kind. There's no police protocol here. What do you do when this has never been done before? Yeah. Really? Yeah. There, yeah. Because, I mean, it hasn't happened. So there's no, like, response. There's no protocol. There's, like, nothing. It's shocking. It's probably. Yeah. It's yeah. really. It's just best judgment. So what ended up happening, this is going to sound very strange, but we have to remember that they are literally just making this shit up as they go along. Because what the hell else are they supposed to do here? Yeah. So a crowd of about 1,000 civilians were just milling around outside while 50 police officers shot at the building from all sides with machine guns, pistols, and shotguns, just shooting at the building. Because what the fuck else are they supposed to do to get this guy out? Yeah. And so I think this really illustrates how things never really change. During any kind of... Any kind of mass shooting or horrible event like this, who is usually one of the first people to benefit from the knowledge of this? Um, what do you mean? Like, um, usually news media, they're like first on scene. Their job is is to get the scandal and spread the word. But back then, I'm going to sound ignorant. Back then, was it just radio, right? I mean, also newspapers. Okay, okay. So the assistant editor at the Camden Evening Courier uh, decided that he was... He had an idea. Um, People had already been saying that the name of the shooter was Howard Unruh. And so this guy decides, let me look him up. So he looks up his number in the phone book and just calls and he answers the phone. And so the guy's like, um, is Howard there? And the guy goes, yeah. Uh, what's what's the last name of the guy you're looking for? He goes, Unra. He goes, who are you? He's like, I just I'm just someone who wants to know why you're doing this. And he's yeah. like, I, I don't know. So the editor says, well, how many people have you killed? Howard's answer was, I don't know yet. I haven't counted them. And so then he goes, well, why are you killing? And Howard's response was, I don't know, but I have to go because a couple of friends are here to get me. And so at that point, that's when a couple of policemen just in desperation, because what are they supposed to do? They had climbed up on the roof, which is the same roof that Maurice had fallen to his death from, by the way. And they had thrown a tear gas canister into the apartment. And it didn't work. It just didn't go off. It was a dud. Thankfully, they had another. They threw it in. That one was effective. And after five minutes, Howard called out that he was surrendering. He walked out the door with his hands high in the air. Um... 
several police officers go to arrest him. And one, I mean, all of them are angry. This has never happened. Can you imagine how pissed off you would be at a situation like this? Like, I I can't imagine. I can imagine it a little bit because, honestly, the only thing I can really compare this to that was like a man, this is the first thing of this kind that's ever happened was 9-11. Imagining the anger of people um, after 9-11 because this is the first of its kind and just the sheer rage that people felt. I That is how I imagine these people felt here. Mm-hmm. Um, so a police officer said, what's the matter with you? Are you a psycho? And this was... Um, Howard found this rude. Um, and his response was, I'm no psycho. I have a good mind. What? He was he was not he was irritated. <laughs> and now he's gonna write in his journal. <laughs> <laughs> After I get out of here, I am gonna <laughs> What's your name? Yeah. Officer, tell me your name. Um, so of course Howard was taken to the police station where he was interrogated for hours. And he took full responsibility. He uh, he gave extremely detailed accounts of every single aspect of the actual shooting took 13 minutes. Oh, wow. So he gave extremely detailed uh, information for all 13 minutes. And at some point during his testimony or not during his testimony, during the interrogation, the district attorney looked down and was like, uh, there's a pool of blood under his chair. Remember, he had been shot in the butt. He had just, like, ignored it. He was just sitting there bleeding from a bullet wound and didn't even care. Oh, my goodness. It was probably adrenaline, you think? I don't think so. I think he's just a freaking weirdo. <laughs> Because, you know, some people when they're diagnosed with like schizophrenia or um, antisocial personality disorder, they they don't process physical pain the way most other people do. Yeah, I guess. Um, I, I kind of feel like it was that like this was just an annoyance to him. It wasn't actually like painful. Yeah, he's bleeding. Yeah, he's probably getting delirious from loss of blood if there's a fucking pool underneath him. But it wasn't enough for him to be like, hey, by the way, I've been shot. So, of course, at that point, they immediately load him up and um, take him to the hospital. Uh, surgeons were not able to remove the bullet, so it just kind of stayed there. And from the hospital, he was transferred to a psychiatric hospital and committed voluntarily. Okay. And he would, he would actually, um, what? I said, Okay. Oh, I thought you said why. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, the, why? I'm confused. Why would he be committed? <laughs> voluntarily is the thing that I'm like. Oh. Yeah. Well, because I'm, tell I'm telling you, he knew there was something wrong with him. Yeah, I'm not sure if he knew there was something wrong with him or if he was just kind of knew he was different. I'm not sure. But he would actually stay there for 60 years. 60 years? Yep. Starting the very next day psychiatrists began examining him to try and figure out why he had done this because remember i have to say it again this had never happened before so we got to study this guy oh, God. and so he very coldly explained to them 
everyone that had disrespected him and why they deserved it because of all of these little grievances that they had committed against him. The only time he claimed to feel sorrow was over the deaths of the children. But the doctors noted that he didn't show any remorse. So even though he expressed that he was like sad that the children had died, he didn't seem upset about it. Yeah. And apparently at one point, Howard had said, uh, murder is sin and I should get the chair. Well, I mean, he knows what Um, he wants. Howard was diagnosed with, um, you'll love this. Howard was diagnosed with dementia precox mixed type with pronounced catatonic and paranoid coloring. What? What does that even mean? Modern day verbiage. He was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. I was going to say, what the, like, I didn't even know what that means. I didn't either. I had to Google it. Um, it's. Modern day equivalent would be paranoid schizophrenic. Okay. But that's not even true because he didn't actually have any of the symptoms of a schizophrenic. But back then, that was just their catch all for we know you're not normal. So that's what you are. So he was declared mentally unfit for trial. And he did have a murder indictment against him in case he was ever quote unquote cured. Then he would go on trial. So October 20th, 1949, a Camden County judge signed an order that based on his diagnosis, Howard should stay locked up for the rest of his life. Uh, Howard's father, which this really sucks. Howard's father had to pay $15 a month to cover Howard's stay at the psychiatric hospital because someone had to pay it. And how much was it? $15 a month. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a steal. I mean, I didn't look at the inflation numbers. The no, one time I, know. I didn't look I'm at just the inflation. Saying, yeah. <laughs> and um, basically, from that point on, Howard just disappeared. Like, he resurfaced in 1964 because he wrote a petition to have his indictment, his murder indictment dismissed, saying that he was insane at the time of the shootings. But then he withdrew the petition. And I think it's because um, the only time, and try and follow me here, the only time he could use an insanity defense is if he was going to trial. And the only time he would go to trial is if he was proven to be sane enough to be let out of the hospital to go to trial. And he can't claim he's insane because then he'll go back in the hospital. What? Like, he was declared not fit for trial for reasons of insanity. That is. And so that's why he's in the hospital. So if he's trying to petition them to drop his murder charges because he's insane, there's no point to that because he's never going to go to trial. So it's like this whole convoluted feeds on itself thing that eventually he was just like, nah, never mind. In the end, He went back to collecting stamps and um, apparently he was known for mopping the floors while just like (laughs) muttering to himself, probably about grievances. Who gave him the stamps that he was collecting? I have no idea. I don't get Um, people. I mean, God help you if you don't give him a stamp when he asks for it, though, because then he'll be muttering grievances about you. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> he was probably one of those patients where everyone's like, "Don't even just leave He's him alone." Just, like <laughs> you hire a new nurse on staff, and you're like, "Yeah, that's just crazy, Howard. Don't even no eye contact. Don't look at him. Yeah. Don't even walk near him because honestly, if you walk by and you don't say hello or like." Heaven help you if you walk through the floor that he just mopped. Um, just avoid him at all costs. Like, I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Um, in 1991, this is a little funny and also kind of sad. Um, in 1991, psychiatrists were actually really hopeful that Howard was making progress uh -huh. because they learned that Howard had made a friend. Like, in the psychiatric clinic, he had made a friend. It turned out that it was just a very talkative patient who liked talking to Howard because Howard was a good listener. Really? He should be a therapist. <laughs> um, I would not want him as my therapist because you know how you have like, when you have something you want to do, you've got like the friend you go to that'll like hype you up for it. Uh -huh. And then you've got the friend that will convince you that it's probably the wrong idea. Basically you and me. Uh, you're the hype girl and I'm the one going, maybe let's think about that again. <laughs> um, I feel like Howard would be the hype man that people are like, you know, sometimes I just get so angry and I want to take it out Do on it. the world. Do and it. Howard is like, yeah, you want to hear about the time I took it out on the world? Howard's I like, just... Howard's probably like, you'll probably feel better. I know. <laughs> I don't know if Howard felt better, honestly. Um, yeah. Was he still angry after that? I don't know. Um, in 1999, he tried requesting to be moved to a less restrictive psychiatric facility because I didn't mention the name of it, but he was at like a state um, criminally insane one. So like this is like a prison, but psychiatric. Uh, he was asking to be moved to a less restrictive one. And this is when for the first time ever, Charles Cohen came out and told his experience about surviving this shooting while his his parents and his grandmother were shot around him. Aww. 62 years old, 50 years after this day, Charles Cohen told the Philadelphia Inquirer that he was haunted by the memories of that day. I bet. And that subsequent mass shootings would bring the feelings back. Um, Columbine oh, had yeah. happened recently. Oh, man. Poor guy. I know. So uh, they ended up not moving Howard. He stayed in the same place. Um, Charles said that he was waiting for the day when he would get the call that Howard had died. He said, quote, I'll make my final statement, spit on his grave, and go on with my life. You know what? Yeah. Charles Cohen died September 2009. Howard Unra died October 2009. Oh, no. Which is so sad that is sad i wish he would have died before him so i wish that uh, it had been flipped around yeah he would have had like some i don't know some closure in his life yeah. before he died yeah i mean this walk of death lasted 13 minutes i think it was 20 minutes from the time it started to the time he was arrested um howard shot 16 people 13 of which died uh the neighborhood was just so shaken up because I'll say it again. Nothing like this had ever happened, ever. Um, reportedly, 
in the aftermath of this, the mailman who was working at the time dropped his mailbag in the middle of the sidewalk, quit his job, and never went back. Wow. He was so upset. Yeah, traumatized. Yeah. And just kind of like some extra stuff that didn't really fit anywhere was, uh, like I said, Howard's neighbors had described him as a nice guy. Um, Here's the quotes about him. Uh, He was awfully polite. He was the kind of guy who wouldn't hurt a flea. And this one is really sad. I believe this was Helga, the, um, the tailor's wife. She said, I think he's a nice fellow. He seems devoted to his mother, too. That's something I like. And remember, she was one of his victims. Oh, my goodness. Um, also, really interesting. Uh, Howard had not originally planned on using a, a gun. He had originally planned on using a machete to decapitate them all. He had actually bought a machete. And he spent hours obsessively sharpening the machete. Jeez. Guess where he bought it from? I, that's what I was going to ask. Where? L.L. Bean. You know what? I believe it. Things like L.L. Bean places or like when they were established a long time ago, L.L. Bean and like what's that other one that's been around for a long time? Oh, is it like Ralph Lauren? Uh, no, not Ralph Lauren. Um I don't know, but they were all like more, they had more utility type things. Yeah. And yeah. now we just know them for like really nice down yeah. jackets. Uh-huh. And yeah, but no, it was from L.L. Bean, which I thought was like insane. Yeah. Um, I believe it was like really last second that he had decided that the machete just was not efficient enough. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's when he decided to use the gun because he was an excellent marksman. He had hours of practice down there in his stupid little basement. So uh, he had ditched the machete idea and gone with the gun instead. Oh, wow. So um, I will include um, most of this information came from a Smithsonian article. Uh huh. And they actually had a Google map that plotted out all of the shootings. Uh huh. Um, it is disturbing how closely these are to each other okay yeah um i will note there are only 12 listed on this map because technically nine-year-old john who was in the back seat of the car with his mother did not die at the time he died later so there are only 12 listed on this map but there are 13 people that died so that is the story of howard unra um who um most people, when they think of, like, the first mass shooter, think of Charles Whitman, the um, Texas University Tower shooter. Um, but he was 20 years after Howard Unra. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So most people think of Charles Whitman as the first. Yeah. Because um, after the Charles Whitman mass shooting, there were other copycats that popped up. No other copycats popped up after Howard Unra, which is one of the reasons that he kind of gets forgotten. But I mean, this was this was a nightmare for the people involved. Like, I'm going to see if I can find some more information about um, the other guy that I talked about um melvin collins just to see if i can get any more information on that shooting because it's really upsetting that history forgot that shooting because everybody was black 
Like that's just some bullshit. So if I can find more information about yeah. that one, because that one really is truly the first. Um, I, I'll see if I can do maybe a, a quick episode on it with what I can find. I remember when I heard this episode, I was just shocked that something that was this insane I had never heard of before. Yeah. And for it to be the first one, too, that's like super interesting, you know? Yeah. Like, it's weird that it's not talked about. Yeah. And I I think it really is just because um, it didn't spark the copycats. So, I mean, there like if you Google this guy's name, you'll see a bunch of articles that pop up about like the anniversary and this Smithsonian article pops up. There's an excerpt in a book. Um, the book is called Rampage, but there's not. Besides what I, I kind of shared here, that's uh -huh. like the crux of the story. Yeah. But when you get into the more modern shooters, because, I mean, modern technology, we just have more history on everything. Um, it's easier the more modern day the case is, the uh -huh. more information there is. Okay. I mean, we we saw with the Gabby Petito disappearance that there was weeks worth of information yeah. coming out. Yeah, yeah constantly yeah um just because of social media so it's really interesting how like news reporting and information uh and the accessibility has yep. changed mm -hmm. so much yeah it's insane it is insane and to think just like back then it could have only it was radio you know and then you only heard it at a certain time yeah and or um, it's just it's a newspaper. Or waited for the newspaper. Yeah, one hundred percent. I guess this building actually the the building that they lived in still is standing today. Um, they tried to stucco over it, but you can still see bullet holes from where the police were literally just firing into the building. After Howard Uner was arrested, no one moved into that apartment ever again. At one point, there was like a shoe store called Gonzo's or something like that. Uh huh. And the family who owned the shoe store, obviously, I mean, it's located right there. They could live in that house, um, but they didn't. They chose not to. They paid rent somewhere else, even though they had this readily available space. And I guess the little boy who was like the child of the family, uh, like they had asked, why are you guys not living there? And the little boy had just said Phantasmas. Oh, God, that's scary. Yeah. Ghosts. So, yeah. Yeah. So apparently, like, I feel like a lot of other cultures are more sensitive to that stuff. So this little boy saying just ghosts. Yeah. Like, but I believe must, that it's haunted yeah. probably all yeah. the people. <laughs> I mean, they've got grievances against exactly. him now. Exactly. Holy moly. So, yeah. Jeez. So I just thought that, that was, was it. Kind that, of... That's an interesting case. That, and that's crazy that it was the first one. And, you know, like. Yeah. Just so many really interesting things about this. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, thank you. That was good. I had for you. Awesome. I don't know what I'll have for you next week. It's a, it'll be a Monday thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I have a couple of ideas. You saw that they, uh, well, there was a couple of DNA breakthroughs this week with, um, with Maddie, who was kidnapped in the parents were on vacation. Oh, Madeline McCann. McCann. Oh, I saw that they uh -huh. officially named a suspect. Yeah, it's yeah, that German guy, right? Mm -hmm. And okay. then 
the three Girl Scouts. Have you, that case of the three Girl Scouts that were oh the Oklahoma Girl Scouts. Uh huh. They have officially tied a DNA suspect to that too. Really, as was of it the today, guy that they thought it was mm-hmm. with uh, the glasses. Yeah, officially, I think his name is. Let me look. Um, because they did DNA and there was something about him being like a non-secretor that ruled him out or something like that. Gene Leroy Hart. Yes. Yeah. He says every single piece of DNA evidence has been accounted for. And he says there's no doubt in his mind that the evidence shows Gene Leroy Hart is the killer. He was arrested and tried and acquitted in 1978. Yeah, and it was something to do with, like, DNA that got him Mm -hmm. off back then, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. But, oh, man, double jeopardy. They can't... Mm Mm-mm. I don't know. They can't try him again, can they? Plus, didn't he die? Um, I am not sure. I need to read I don't know enough about this one. I don't. And you know what? I was thinking of doing that as my next one, but I don't know. Now that this has come out, maybe wait a little bit to see what more comes out. Yeah. So, um, anywho, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I have not had, I haven't had time to like keep up with stuff because I was, so I work very hard during the day. I pay attention to my work. I get a lot done. Uh Um, but I was in training this week and there was no cell service in there. So I had no choice but to pay attention. Oh, to yeah. Training, yeah. Well, there you go. Where usually I would have a minute to scroll yeah. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I did that for you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we will see what you have for us next week. Yes. Um, Should be exciting. It always is. Let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>